Hey, hey, welcome to Babu's Frickin' Podcast. This is our non-toxic Star Wars podcast. Excited to be back with you again. Uh, this is Mike Kiati Ruby with me. As always, part of the Jedi Council is Brian Joyazali. Brian, how you doing, man? I am doing fantastic, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's been a while since we've done this. I'm excited to talk about the show. Yep, we are this week talking about the Jedi Tales, uh, as well as some other exciting updates in the Star Wars universe. Unfortunately, Grand Moff Mark Valentine is off dealing with uh, a, a flooded floor, um, not not unlike uh, Castan Andor and his fellow prisoners in uh, Andor this past week. Uh, hopefully they can swim. It's Tales of the Jedi, Mike. I got to correct you. I'm sorry. What did I call it? The Jedi Tales. Oh my gosh, dude, I, I got to slide my Star Wars card like back across the table. That it's the is... one thing I have over you, so I'm going to take it when I have it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that is that that is embarrassing. Tales of the Jedi. Maybe, Hopefully maybe Mark should... doesn't have electric floors, man. <laughs> so I, I think we, we would be remiss even though, you know, we are not talking about Andor sequentially as we often do with, with Star Wars shows. We've clumped the first seven episodes into one one giant review that we did. So listeners, if you haven't checked it out, go back to our last episode to hear us talk about Endor episodes one through seven. Um, we will have a follow-up episode after the season is complete in just a few weeks' time. But we would be remiss not to say how absolutely ridiculously incredible this week's Andor episode was. Absolutely mind-blowing. I, I, I wish Andy Serkis could be in everything forever kino loy is easily now one of my favorite star wars characters and if you were catching this just a little bit late we are referring to the episode called one way out which was the 10th episode kino loy i feel you man i can't swim either really not well enough i mean i can swim well enough to be scuba certified but that's because there's a big backpack on that fills with air that helps me float yeah i mean i'm not the strongest swimmer either but you know if it's uh if it stay behind and have the Empire hit me with one of those shock rods or uh, jump for it, then uh, yeah. I'm prob- probably jumping. Yeah, that's fair. But the the amount of excitement and energy, I mean, I, you and I were talking offline before we started recording. Some of the most exciting stuff in that episode weren't even the action scenes. Mon, Mon Mothma continues to be one of the most interesting characters and some of the best dialogue we've ever seen. And then... Uh, Stellan Starsgard getting the most epic Shakespearean monologue in the history of Star Wars. Shout outs to Bo Willimon, the creator of House of Cards, who, who wrote this three episode arc. It's it's stunning. It's it, you know, for, for folks who say that there's no depth, it's just popcorn movies. There's there's nothing really to these stories. Andor is proving that there is so much under the surface of Star Wars. And again, just goes to prove the, the world building genius of George Lucas. It's it's incredible. That monologue, is it an all-time Star Wars monologue? I I mean, it has to be. Is it the all-time Star Wars monologue? It it might be. It's so good. So we're going to have to talk about that when we talk about the rest of Andor and in the time between Andor and Mando. What We might just have to do a Star Wars monologue episode or best dialogue. Uh, Tops is I hate sand, but... (laughs) Yes, I have, you, I have you seen the I Hate Sand song? Yeah, I don't know if I have. The uh, the Gregory brothers who 
became famous first for auto-tuning the news and now have their entire Songify series. They 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 songified that and it's pretty fantastic. I might have so, to do that. Shout out to the Gregory brothers. And yeah, at that end, I, I think we've all agreed we need to do a Rogue One episode uh, as we as we tie in Andor with this. But um, if you're not watching Andor, go watch Andor. Um, the other thing that we can look forward to watching on our, our, our television units, our streaming devices in the not so distant future is going to be the Acolyte. Uh, we got Acolyte casting news this past week. So uh, we knew that Amanda Stenberg... Uh, had been cast in the, the 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 lead role for the show, but they've released a full cast list, including uh, a, the one, the only, um, I guess she really is the one now uh, after the last Matrix movie, Carrie Ann Moss. <laughs> Trinity in the Star Wars universe is something I never knew I needed, and now I know that I need it. I'm very, very excited about her being in that. We knew a decent amount of what they... They did because they also gave us our first set photo as well, meaning production is underway. Um, Carrie Ann Moss in what is the end of the High Republic, the rise of the dark side, basically. She could absolutely own that role, and I'm excited about it. But you know who I'm most excited about is Manny Jacinto, who played um, in The Good Place. If he doesn't figure out a way to work in the term Bortles, then I'll be disappointed. <laughs> I, I I saw when he was cast and, and he was from Good Place and I knew you guys would be excited about that. Uh, I'm super stoked about, uh, I hope I don't butcher the pronunciation here, Lee Jung-jae, um, who was uh, one of the two protagonists in Squid Game. Uh, he won an Emmy for Squid Game this past year. He's fantastic. He is both funny as well as serious. He's got so much... So much that he conveys in his physicality. Uh, who knows what he's going to play in the show? But I'm I'm excited just to see him among the cast. I think I think it's a it's a really broadly inc- inclusive cast and a really interesting group of character actors as well. Can I make a uh, an admission here? Go I could I couldn't get into Squid Game. I couldn't get into it. I uh, I think that's a fair thing. How many episodes did you watch? Two. Watch three. Okay. I'm, I'm dead serious because I watched the first episode and I was like, eh, and then I watched the second episode and I leaned in a little further. Once you get into episodes three and four, then you're hooked. All right. Sounds good. I'll it's, give it another chance. No, I, 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 I sympathize with you 110%. Once I hit a couple episodes in and you started really getting into the world and understanding who these players are, it becomes far more interesting. And then yeah. pretty incredible. Daphne Keene, who played Laura, um, the little girl in Logan, is also going to be in The Acolyte. Uh, I'm excited about that. She was really good in Logan. Um, they really uh, like casting the little the little protagonist because Amanda Stenberg, excuse me, Amanda Stenberg um, was Rue back in the original yeah. uh, Hunger Games. Yep. So, yeah, they're they're both pretty badass. Now we need to just get Haley Steinfeld from True Grit and put her in the Star Wars universe somewhere. There we go. Well, she's she's already in Marvel. We're starting to get, you know, people who are going for the Triple Crown. So Carrie Ann Moss now is going to have the Triple Crown and that she is uh, Matrix, Star Wars, and she's uh, she's also in the MCU or at least the, the Netflix MCU uh, as Jessica Jones's boss. And she's she plays in a number of the other series as well. Uh, so, yeah, 
I guess we're we're close now. Daphne's in Marvel and Star Wars. We need to we need to get her in an, in, in at least one more big one more big series. And then uh, Charlie Burnett lo looks like he was one of the washouts from Top Gun Maverick, but good to see him in here. Um, and Dean Charles Chapman, who was in 1917, which I've been saying I've been I was going to watch since it won the Oscar, however many years ago. And I still suck for not having seen 1917. Did you see 1917? So 1917's great. 1917's awesome. I I I really really like that film. Yeah, I I like everything about it. I know that I should be watching it, and yet I've fallen behind. And I'm still rewatching movies I've seen a hundred times over on Netflix because why would I watch something new? Fair. I, I yeah, 1917's good. I would I would make time for that. If I'm going to make time for Squid Game, you need to do that for 1917. You got a deal on that. All right, let's get into it, into Tales of the Jedi. I got that right this time, right? Nice work. Tales of... Whew. Take my card back across the table and regrip my lightsaber. Tales of the Jedi. Uh, let, let's let's go with your, your Cold Stone rating system. Like it, love it, got to have more of it. What do you think, Brian? Uh, I got to have more of it. Uh, specifically, I've got to have more of Dooku. Um of the two storylines, Ahsoka is my favorite Star Wars character, but of the two storylines within these two shows, Dooku is what we knew less of and what I'm not getting more of because, spoiler alert, he doesn't have a head anymore. So um, there were things that we'll talk about as we get into it, um, things I had never considered when it came to the character of Dooku and who he was and when he was around. Um, so I, I thought that was, that was really interesting. I think some of the most compelling stuff within the Clone Wars itself was when the dark side was pulling at Anakin and seeing how those effects really came across to Dooku and why he made the decisions that he did. I thought it was really interesting. I think the Ahsoka stuff is really good as well. Ahsoka's always fantastic, especially the fifth episode where she's training with the storm or with the clone troopers and how it ties into the Siege of Mandalore season seven of the clone wars i thought that was brilliant really well done i i agree with you 110 i want more of these for short stories i thought that they were some of the best star wars stories we've gotten out of the entire clone wars canon um i i think that they they did more with 12 to 15 minutes in some of these episodes than full 25 minute episodes that we'd get somewhere else uh, episodes that have connective tissue for things that were left unanswered in previous parts of canon, um, storytelling that gave much greater depth and interest to these characters and how they, they found themselves. And I think the other thing, which is an underlying theme of all of these, is the, the evolution of the Jedi and what ultimately led to their downfall. You know, I think we saw a lot of that through the, the Dooku arc, which was really starting to understand like why would somebody actually leave and how could he have become so misguided if he's, he's so re well revered among all of the other Jedi, you know, when, when uh, Padme says at the beginning of episode two, I think it was Count Dooku that tried to kill me and everybody like laughs her off. Like Kiati Mundi and Mace Windu are like, that guy, he's just a political whack job. He's not going to do anything. And we now know the extent of, of what he's willing to do. I would love to see more of these. I would love to see Filoni every year or two pop out a couple of little things that pick up these little in-between details because we, 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 we even had one, we'll talk about this in the Dooku arc. 
one of the biggest question marks that all of us have had in terms of where did a character go, they explained really well in this. So uh, let's get into that. Let's talk about the Dooku tales. So Dooku has uh, three stories in 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 the uh, the tales of the Jedi uh, episodes two, three, and four: Justice Choices and the Sith Lord. So Justice was cool because they they put. Dooku along with Qui-Gon Jinn when he's still a Padawan. So it was neat to see Qui-Gon beardless and with his, his Padawan hair. Well, and um, maybe it was just because I knew it was Qui-Gon, just because I knew it was Qui-Gon. But at the end, they almost say like Qui-Gon Jinn, like it's supposed to be some sort of reveal. I was like, I wonder if people didn't know. Like I I, I knew it all along, even though but only because I knew Qui-Gon was, was his Padawan. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I knew it all along and I was super excited to see him there. Um, so they're sent to a planet to help rescue uh, the kidnapped son of a senator. And it turns out that the senator has been starving and abusing his people. And so all of these downtrodden folks have they've taken him. They haven't hurt him, but they've taken him in. And ultimately, Dooku realizes what's going on and stands up for the, the 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 rebellious folk who kidnapped his son rather than trying to just take the son out of there and to the point that you know he's gonna he's gonna kill a senator you know he grabs the guy with the you know by the throat with the force and he's gonna choke this dude out and Qui-Gon being the the wise Jedi that he is and Dooku credits him at the end for being so present in the living force and being so wise and being the better conscience um Qui-Gon goes inside and gets the senator's son. The senator's son comes out and convinces him not to convinces Dooku not to kill the senator. And basically the crux of this entire episode is showing the beginning of the change in Count Dooku as he starts to realize that there is corruption in the Senate and that the Jedi are becoming an instrument of this corrupted government. uh, It's when Qui-Gon says, well, why do you keep electing him? And they all look at Qui-Gon like, what are you talking about? We're not electing him. Like, we don't really have a choice in this matter. Um, and and Dooku saying finally, like, you assume they're on official business of the Jedi, of the of the Republic. And, like, the senator shows up and they're like, you trapped us. And he's like, nope, they don't even know I'm here. <laughs> like, oops, this is going to be an issue. Um, but Qui-Gon's naivete, for lack of a better term, was really interesting. How the entire town... Cooper- or corroborated to capture this kid and the kid is completely on the side of the people the kid had no idea either i just thought the way they pulled it off i thought two ton was a really cool droid i'd love to see that in a live action of some sort um but they it it was just really interesting i would love to have learned more about what the plight of the people truly was that finally got through to the senator's son but again we're talking in very very short story form so we can't spend too much time on it but that's what makes me want more of it i i also loved how we really see qui-gon through this whole through the 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 three episode arc of dooku qui-gon is really proven out to be one of the greatest jedi that has existed you know there there have been people have pointed out about how Qui-Gon rebelled against the the council and how he would be on the council if only he would get back in line, which is what, uh, which is what Obi-Wan says to him. 
And continually, we just get shown that Qui-Gon was the only one wise enough to recognize that there's there's got to be a there, there truly is a balance between what the Jedi have been preaching and being able to understand the other things that are, are going on in the world. And that's that's really in him understanding and being present and, and reacting rather than staying dogmatic. It's not it's not black or white. He sees a bit of the gray. And it was really exciting in this to be able to see how he was able to be a calming voice and, and really almost the, the master to his own master in, in this episode. And then to see how revered and beloved he was with Dooku and when ultimately his death in the Phantom Menace is what triggers Dooku to move completely to the dark side. Yeah, I never considered his influence, Dooku's influence on Qui-Gon being the reason... Qui-Gon was living in the gray for lack of a better term that was that was cool to kind of watch that play out and it didn't seem like it was the first time that Dooku had snapped because Qui-Gon just kind of says hey like let him go like Qui-Gon didn't seem overly shocked that he was holding a senator by force choking him um, so I think Qui-Gon has seen some stuff and it was really cool to to just see how just kind of how he was raised for lack of a better term and we when we get more of Qui-Gon later on he still clearly respects his his master and bring bringing Lee and Neeson back for that particular spot in the role was 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 really good. Um, if we're gonna do more of this show, I would love to see like a continuation of Qui Gon. Honestly, with Ahsoka, I've kind of I think I've gotten what I need from this show. I would love to see a Windu um, and kind of how the conversation goes with how he ended up with with that spot on the council, and because Dooku really feels like Windu kind of set him up to just get that spot in on the council and i know i'm jumping an episode ahead but um i would love to see the the conversation between windu and yoda and and windu and how he because i mean if you want to sim- the simple fact is he has a purple lightsaber because he asked for a purple lightsaber but storyline wise it's a purple lightsaber because it's a mix of blue and red and he often uses the dark side influence for good and i would love to see how windu manages that and kind of how he gets to that point. So I would, if we're going to continue this show, that's the next character I want to see. I think that's really interesting. I would love to see Qui-Gon tales. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think this is the first time we've actually gotten to see a Padawan Qui-Gon, seen him actually doing Jedi business beyond what we see in Phantom Menace. And so it would be, I think it'd be really exciting to see the things that help shape his journey along the way. Maybe another episode where we see him with Dooku again, where we see some of the tutelage that happens and start to see some of the things that make him turn and even see the event that, you know, they describe if you, if you would just, if you would just stop protesting the council, you would be on the council. Let's, let's see a time where he's protested and defied them. He's very confident. You know, the, the way that Liam Neeson plays Qui-Gon in Phantom Menace is this is what it is. Like, this is me. Like, these are the ABCs of me, baby. Like, you're not going to change that. So I, I would love to, and it's not pride. Like the thing about it is that he's not prideful. He's just set in his beliefs. Um, Turns I'd out love to see him. No, and he wasn't wrong. That's the tragic thing is no, nobody wants to hear him. So I, but I agree with you seeing, I would, I would love to as well. We, we've never really seen this. He uses dark side tendencies, quote unquote, event in the because I'm not Star making Wars. that up, right? Like I'm not making that. No, like, that. that's exactly what it is. Is it's yeah. is he's you know he's supposed to have this purple lightsaber because he 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 walks that fine line, and you know Mark is keen to to cite the novelizations 
the the novelization of episode three says that that's that's how he was able to put up a fight against Sidious was that he was able to match him in some of his dark side capabilities to be able to outduel him. So I, I think that's a great call, Brian. I'd love to see more Mace. Seeing, well, seeing how corrupt the Senate is, too, in, in both episodes. We've got the, the bad senator with the son in the first one. Then we've got the one who literally murdered his bodyguard in the next one. Well, I guess the other guys did it, but they were going to hold the senator hostage, and the senator was lying for them and, and everything else. Like the, How corrupt the Republic senators are um, is also pretty interesting. The, the Jedi are fighting for something that isn't exactly holistic. No, and 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 neglectful. I mean, to, to take it out of this for a moment, back to Andor. You know, we we talked about how Mon Mothma speaks to a practically empty Senate chamber, and they are taking no interest whatsoever in what she's doing. You know, the the dark side is building throughout all of this, right under the Jedi's nose, and it's not just Sidious. You know, he just yeah. happens to to harness that dark side energy, harness that distrust in the galaxy to make it work. Uh, so let's move on to the, the next episode. So choice, it's called Choices. Um, and here Dooku and, and Mace Windu are, are sent uh, to investigate the death of a Jedi. And as it turns out, uh, a senator's guard killed the Jedi uh, in an attempt to try and get the corrupt senator to include them in his plot. And the, once the attackers are subdued, Dooku gets passed over to become a member of the High Council because I don't want to say Mace tattles on him, but it becomes clear to the council that Dooku used his dark side tendencies and wasn't exactly by the book in how he made things happen. And at the end, you know, these two people who were very clearly good friends, you know, they, they have opposing views. It's, it's, it's interesting to see Mace Windu as such a boy scout. That's also a bit at odds with his whole idea of like, I use the dark side and the light side. Mace is painted as by the, he's, you know, he's the, the guy in the cop show who's, by the book letter of the law not spirit of the law exactly by the book which you definitely see later on when he interacts with anakin in episode three where he's like stay in the stay at the temple and if if we learn this is all true you'll have earned my trust he's following the letter of the law i'm not doing anything else and as a result you know he gets the promotion and dooku gets passed over I, this is an again. I thought all three Dooku episodes were fantastic. I really enjoyed seeing their good cop bad cop relationship. And again, it's like that first. It's like that first episode. It's who gets rewarded for bad behavior. Well, and it also makes me think about what is Dooku supposed to do at this point? He's not on the council. He doesn't have a Padawan. Like, what are they up to? Like, are are Dooku and and like. And Windu just kind of co like badasses can can patrolling the galaxy, like just waiting for their next opportunity. I always wondered, I never considered, and this is probably on me. Whenever I came across Dooku in episode two, I thought he was on the dark side for 15, 20 years. Like for whatever reason, I never considered, and I don't know if we knew, but I never considered him still being on the Jedi council at the time Qui-Gon died. So seeing him acting with Mace Windu as the Mace Windu that we basically know and love already was really interesting to me that it was fairly fresh by the time we got to episode two, a couple. I, I, mean, I agree. Well, the, well, the, the math works. I mean, the thing is like, I never, so the galaxy doesn't know that he's a Sith until episode two. Right. So they, they just know he left the order, but it sounds like, Oh, he left the order forever and a day ago. So I agree with you. But what's interesting is, 
it's recent to us as viewers, but Phantom Menace, you know, there's, there's what, 10 years between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones? 10 years, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's a full 10 years from when he stepped out of the order. So it's, it's, it's a decent amount of time that he's been out. I guess I agree with you. I thought maybe it had been longer, but so Just there's him still being a Jedi when Qui-Gon died, like being at Qui-Gon's funeral is something I never, ever considered. I agree with that. That's something I never considered either, which I think makes it all the more powerful and right. so wonderful that we see his fall. Um, it's also, it's also, uh, I don't, I don't think the word is ironic or just tragic. Uh, that you know there's a meme that i saw with uh with dooku where it says i trained the man who trained the man who trained the man who's going to kill me <laughs> i like that yeah so do you think that mace ratted him out for a promotion or do you think that's just how the they they, they kind of imply it but they don't confirm it like do you, do you think that mace actually used him as a stepping stone or was it just that the council went with mace i think the council went with mace but when he when he confronts mace about it mace responds in kind of hey well you did it this way it seems like he didn't not rat him out like i don't think i don't know if he had the intention of necessarily ratting him out but he also said hey like this guy's this guy's pretty uh uh loose cannon got a bad got a short fuse like just be aware and, oh, look at that. I get the job. Interesting. Something that got pointed out in, in I was either a video I was watching or something I read is that Dooku, because of his status, was allowed to keep some of his attachments. Do you think that had any any impact on how he's ultimately been able to play out? Because most, most children who are Force-sensitive are taken and raised by the Jedi, and they have no association whatsoever with their past. And we will talk about that in a minute we see it when the the jedi come and take ahsoka but dooku was of nobility and got to keep his got to keep his title as a count and was somehow still connected with his family on the outside that's somehow different something that they didn't even really explain all that much but is that somehow do you think maybe why he's he's drawn more to this is it somehow how he's able to see things a bit differently like what is do you think that has an impact on anything? This is the first time I'm actually taking this into consideration. It was not something they didn't explore it a lot. Um, it's something I never really had considered. Um, so give me a few seconds to to work this out. It has to have at least some sort of effect. Um, it it be, you're at least caring more about how it affects the outside world, if nothing else. Um, that's interesting. I actually really I hadn't considered it. I like it. Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's something very interesting about Dooku where you wonder if underneath his evil, if there's something that's still actually trying to be good. You know, he you know he says to when when he's holding Obi Wan captive, he says, "Oh, how I how I wish Qui Gon were here." You know, there's something very wrong. I mean, he he tells the truth because he knows no one. He knows Obi Wan's never going to believe him. You know, there's a Sith Lord running the senate and he's genuine about it like he, he says it matter of fact it's not like it's not like it looks like in the performance he's trying to intentionally lie or be deceptive maybe he's underneath it thinking well the government's already corrupt maybe i can actually use sidious to clean the system out and restore a system that isn't corrupt 
do you think that there's actually, I don't want to say good, but do you think that there are actually somehow more altruistic intentions underneath? Or do you think he gets totally corrupted? I think he gets totally corrupted from the standpoint that when Vader has his guilty conscience, he picks up the Emperor and throws him down a reactor shaft. Dooku, there's nothing stopping Dooku from explaining to Obi-Wan exactly what's going on if he wasn't fully convinced of what he was doing. That's fair. Although he does say it to him. Uh, he does, he does him. but he, yeah, I mean, yeah, I suppose that's fair. I don't, I don't know. Like when, when Anakin's got him at lightsabers X'd across his neck, what stops him from ratting out Palpatine right then and there other than to make a good film? I don't know if there's a good answer there, but I don't know. Like, I think he's fully convinced of what he's doing. And I think it's because of these two stories that we told with the Senator's son. And then this other one of just what are we protecting? Exactly. We're not protecting anything. Yeah. Well, again, an excellent segue that, 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 that is really at the heart of his last episode in this, which is uh, episode four, the Sith Lord. And so after he learns from Qui-Gon that Qui-Gon fought the Sith and fought Darth Maul, uh, Dooku warns the council, hey, there's something really nasty going on, and the council ignores him. And, and he's Dooku, already in. Dooku's shook. And so he's he's already been having conversations with this mysterious Sith Lord, and he's he's now considering siding with him. And he so he goes to the, the industrial district where you know he meets with the Emperor at the end of episode two. And they're talking about it and Dooku already do. I mean, you can tell Dooku's actually like, he's a little bit on the border about whether he's going to go through with this because he, he he's very angry with it's Palpatine kind of for both sides at this point in time. Yeah. Because he's very angry with Palpatine because he's like, you know, your, your guy Maul killed Qui-Gon, you know, your boy killed my boy. That's not cool. And, you know, Palpatine of course is like, well, you're not going to make an omelet without cracking a few eggs and the the piece that ultimately then helps to set him over the edge is that Yaddle, the, the the female of Yoda's species who was on the Jedi Council, has followed him to the industrial district and she takes him on. And so Yaddle's interesting one uh, voiced by Bryce Dallas Howard. So keeping it in the family, who I thought did an awesome job. Uh, and two, this answers the question of between Phantom Menace and episode two, what happened to Yaddle? Because her absence was quite conspicuous when we saw the new Jedi Council in episode two. And she's absent because Dooku killed her. It also confirms that Yoda is just a giant weirdo the way he speaks. Well, and it's interesting. They're apparently Frank Oz, they'd spoken with Frank Oz about it. And Frank Oz said, this is how y- Yoda speaks this way intentionally. This is this is not something distinct to his species. He speaks in, you know, he speaks in riddles. Mm hmm. Um, makes him. I thought the whole thing with Yaddle was really sad. Like she's really she's she's wise. She's strong. She actually she meets with Dooku in the gardens of the Jedi Temple, and she she sees the same hypocrisy. And you know she she even says to Dooku when she's followed him, "I'm going to go to the Council, and I I'm considering leaving the Order too. This is there's something really wrong here, and unfortunately." When she finds out that he's he's playing with Siths, that's where the line gets a little drawn too far, and they ultimately end up dueling. And with with this short story format, they 
portray very easily. And it's easy to believe because we've seen how powerful Grogu can be. And we know how powerful Yoda is that it didn't surprise us how powerful Yaddle was, but the way they portrayed it, the way she was able to withstand that door was really cool. The music that they used to be able to sync that up was really brilliant. Uh, Palpatine's super conniving and you can see how he manipulated Dooku all the way in this moment because he saw his opportunity and he took it. Um, just the way they told this story was was brilliantly done. And again, it explains the use of, of Yaddle and where Yaddle went. Did George Lucas have the idea between 1999 and The Phantom Menace in 2002 with the attack of the clones that Yaddle was killed by Dooku because of this, that, and the other? Probably not. But is it a way of filling in the story? as brilliantly as we can as we're learning with andor you can tell a very brilliant story about something that we've never really considered before and she fights like yoda mm -hmm. the fighting style she's bouncing all around the same fighting style that yoda uses when he duels with dooku mm -hmm. in attack of the clones which i thought was really fun but yeah dooku goes full dark side here and how great you mentioned earlier, they were they, they had Liam Neeson record for Qui-Gon. This wasn't, although the, the voice actors who played Palpatine are brilliant, this was really Ian McDiarmid voicing, uh, voicing Palpatine. Yep, yep, it was. So it was not, obviously, every voice actor uh, coming back for their roles because Christopher Lee uh, is no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, but they, they were able to pull in, um, is it Dee Bradley Baker? that did the voice of, of Dooku in Clone Wars. It was the same voice. So the continuity here, the animation style all remain consistent, um, even though the animation style has stepped up tremendously since season one of the Clone Wars all the way till now. But overall, the story of Dooku, I need more of it. I would love to see more of it. I would love to see that 10-year gap between episode one and two and what Dooku was up to, kind of the birth of Darth Tyrannus. Um, I think that'd be something I would I would really like like to see because they, they told a good story and in literally 30 minutes of how Dooku ended up the way Dooku did. And again, it's the most appealing parts of the clone wars for me is when is the Mortis arc, when Anakin's being pulled to the dark side, um, stuff like that. Really interesting where it explains how you go from Anakin boy wonder to Darth Vader in, in, a, in a movie. Yeah. Well, and we saw the actual birth of Tyrannus. It's when he strikes okay. down, when he strikes down Yaddle, you know, it's, very much like when Anakin strikes down Mace, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. minus the whole dropping to the ground yelling, what have I done? You know, that that was that's the real the real moment where he gets him. Yeah, I think those 10 years would be interesting because Dooku on the inside is obviously a Sith, but on the outside, the polit the political idealist that he is, as Kiati Mundi would say, he is rallying and building the separatists you know that that whole 10 years is you know what it's it's the precursor for what we're now getting in andor in terms of forming the rebellion you know he starts leading the political movement of all of the systems that want to step away from the republic and he's he's building these confederate states so yeah it'd be very interesting to see kind of his his two-pronged life of in the shadows He's doing some some Sith stuff, but in the broad daylight, he's going and he is enlisting the Techno Union and the Bankers Guild and all of the folks on Geonosis, and he's he's getting the plans for the Death Star drawn up. You know, he's uh, he is truly, you know, as we've seen through this three episode arc, he is both 
a dark side warrior as well as someone who has a true political motivation. I also want to see if he has the guts to take the body of Yaddle back to the temple and say, I don't know what happened. Here she is. Oh, that's creepy. Right? I mean, if they think he's a political idealist, they clearly don't know. They, I don't think Kiati Mundi knows that he killed Yaddle because then he would kind of know what he's capable of and what lengths he's going to do uh, to to get there. So does Dooku still try to remain part of the Jedi Order for at least a couple of months or years or, or what the plans are there? I would love to see it play out. Yeah, well, no, I mean, it seems he's pretty well gone. You I know, would he, assume, I mean, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like after Qui-Gon's dead, yeah, he's, and the way that Yaddle speaks of him, it sounds like he's already left the Order. Yeah. It sounds like he's like, my 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 Padawan is dead, and none of you will listen to me about why, so I'm I'm out. Now I'm going to go team but, up with a guy that's the reason why, but that's neither here nor it, there. Exactly. Well, and... Also, it, it, it puts an interesting coloring on his duel with Yoda, where, you know, I, I always found it a bit strange that he just assumed that he was going to kick Yoda's butt, you know, where he's like, I've become more powerful than any Jedi, even you. And I've always been like, why? What, 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 makes, you, what makes you possibly think that you're going to be able to step up and take anybody down like that, especially Yoda? But seeing as he whooped Yaddle, he may very well believe, ah, I've if, 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 if the green guys and gals are the most powerful in the force and she couldn't keep me down, yeah, this guy's mine. And then Yoda tears him apart. Interesting. Yeah. So the other three episodes are the Ahsoka, the Ahsoka episodes. And they are, I think, I feel like they're less connected, but no less important. So the three episodes of Dooku, I think are wonderful in that they are a very clear arc of how, he ultimately became doubtful of and then left the Jedi order. The Ahsoka ones feel more like fill in the blank episodes where we've always wondered a bit, well, how did she end up getting to the order? And so that's the first episode life and death. And then the others are how did she survive after leaving the order? And how did she ultimately come back to, to try and, have an impact on the galaxy. So, and who like, did it? Turns out it was Bail Organa. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we'll maybe we'll get a little bit of. Oh no, Bail's gone. I was gonna say maybe we'll get a little bit of Bail in 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 Ahsoka, but he's he's uh, he's Stardust. Yep. Um. So yeah, Life and Death was an interesting episode. Very little dialogue. She's obviously not talking because it's an infant Ahsoka Tano up to like a one year Ahsoka Tano, She's and adorable. we get to see her. She is very cute. She is she is on the level of baby Yoda cute. And her mother takes her out on their, their first ritualistic hunt. And along the way, uh, a Star Wars tiger, a space tiger, absconds with the baby. And the tiger looks as if he's about to, to, to eat her or feed her to the, to the pride. And Ahsoka force times with with the tiger she she somehow connects with the tiger through the force and space tiger is like oh you're cool babe i'll take you home and tiger brings home and the the village elder comes out and they're shocked that the baby is still alive and the elder is like this baby's different this baby's jedi and from there we know that ahsoka gets taken away to the order so interesting interesting to get again that little fill in the blank of how did how were her force abilities? How was her force sensitivity discovered? And finding out a bit more about her culture. 
yeah, there wasn't really that much extra in it for me. It was cool to see the culture. It was cool to see kind of where she was born um, and how early uh, force sensitivity can can appear. But beyond that, I don't think there was a ton of substance here. Um, I'm glad we have it, um, but there really wasn't a ton here that that was enough to write home about. No, it felt it was like the, it was like the Jungle Book episode of Star, yeah. of Star mm-hmm. Wars. Exactly, Tales of the Jedi. It was, I mean, the the culture stuff. Like her parents were cool, um, but yeah, I mean, that's it. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. It's like I watched this episode and I thought, all right, well, this will be a cute series. This will be fine. And then we got into the Dooku <laughs> arc, and I was like, this is so amazing. So yeah, I think this was kind of like like a nice little appetizer leading us into everything else. Cause then the fifth episode had so much meaning imbued in it. Yes. So the fifth episode practice makes perfect is Ahsoka is observed demonstrating some of her lightsaber skills by Yoda and Windu and ultimately Anakin, although he's, he's late to <laughs> late to practice, so to speak. And Caleb, uh, maybe he, Caleb Doom. Don't forget Caleb Doom. And Caleb Doom was there. Got it. Got to love. Got to love that. And I'll, I'll, you know, maybe uh, maybe Anakin was was off canoodling with with Padme, uh, <laughs> but for whatever reason, he's uh, he's late to the party, and he sees that Ahsoka is not succeeding in the way that that he'd like her to, and so rather than having her continue to practice with battle droids, he runs a drill where he has an entire squad of clone troopers continually shoot at her, you know, and everything's set to stun. So we kind of get the, the idea of how she keeps losing because the fight scenes get longer and longer, but inevitably there's always a blackout because somebody shoots her and and stuns her. And it seems like it's excessive and perhaps even a bit abusive to put her through this level of, of rigor until ultimately at the very end of the episode, we realize that it's this training and the ability to fend off these clone troopers and mass that enables her to survive order order 66 in the latter episodes of the last season of the clone wars, which is just absolutely mind blown. Like don't, don't see it coming until you're like, Oh my gosh, that's why. Absolutely brilliant. I love that tie in too. Cause I mean, you're watching it and you're like, okay, this is how she gets out of this and how they actually tie it in with Rex. Absolutely brilliant. I loved it. But it also shows the character of Anakin that nothing's ever good enough for him. And you can see why she goes, all the other Jedi train this way. Like, why isn't this good enough for you? And he's going to push it, and he's going to do something he probably shouldn't do, something that the Jedi Council would not approve of, but he does it anyway because he's Anakin. And Yoda and Obi-Wan just kind of watch. Um, it's, it's, it's really interesting just the way they they tie it all together where Yoda and Anakin or excuse me Yoda and Obi-Wan probably aren't even aware of where Anakin took Ahsoka for this training um but Rex and the boys just kind of doing what they need to where he says Jesse that one really felt good like just it was hilarious to me like the way they played it all out and the way it tied into the Siege of Mandalore was absolutely brilliant and I I thought it was I thought it was awesome well and again it it does a really great job of showing that not all of the things that we were led to believe are bad from the Jedi perspective are actually bad. This is another reflection of, you know, Anakin is using unorthodox training to try and get the best out of his student. 
And when you go back and look at what Qui-Gon might have said or done, or even what Dooku might have said or done before his fall, it's actually a bit in line with them. And it shows, you know, ultimately the result is 110% positive. He saved her life. You know, this, this training saved her life. And so, you know, inevitably it's almost as if this entire lineage of Jedi from Dooku to Qui-Gon to Obi-Wan to Anakin to Ahsoka to Ahsoka you know if the Jedi had paid more attention to what they were doing maybe they would have been more successful and it's interesting when you carry the lineage further Luke tries to go back and teach the way that the blind generation taught rather than be unorthodox the way that his father was or the way that that Obi-Wan should have been and ultimately it ends up failing and Kylo falls to, you know, Ben turns into Kylo Ren. You know, it's, it's this, this long list of mistakes where it, it's, it's kind of cool to see that there's an entire strain of Jedi that actually were learning how to adapt to this gray world. And those who were able to actually survive it. I mean, Ahsoka, we'll have to see what happens in the Ahsoka series, but she's been the most successful it seems in terms of being able to actually survive and you know, knock wood, do some good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I really don't think I have anything else to add on this one. <laughs> well, then the, the final episode is uh, resolve, which is interesting for some, some Easter eggs or, you know, as we'd call them mudhorn eggs uh, where um, I'm watching to see if you're going to play the sound. I'll get to it. Hang on. And, hang on. I'm Enter not... the Jawas. Yeah. So we got to go to Padme's funeral and there we see in, in the shadows at Padme's funeral is Ahsoka. So we, it's interesting to see that after she escapes order 66, she actually makes her way back to Naboo, attends the funeral of her, of her close friend and her, her master's hard to say betrothed wife. I guess she was wife. I guess they were married in secret. Wife, wife um, is betrothed, maybe. Not as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, she speaks in the shadows with Bail Organa. And Bail says, we need you. And she says, no. <laughs> and she runs off in hiding. And we get is an articulation on screen of what was described and I guess isn't canon anymore. And this set off some of the real deep Star Wars fanatics that this contradicts slightly what happens in the, uh, the 2016 Ahsoka novel where she goes off and lives in a farming community. And when she is tracked down by the sixth brother, one of the inquisitors, she ultimately realizes that she can't hide in the shadows anymore. And she has to step up and do something because wherever she goes, they're going to come after her and people may suffer. And she has the power to actually help when people are being, uh, being oppressed and so ultimately this is what leads her to come back into the rebellion and act as a, a an agent of the rebellion and then you know we don't know what happens out between rebels and the ahsoka series you know other than that she's she's out there alive you know we see her again obviously when mando finds her so i thought this episode was way cool um if for you know one for the the connectivity with with Bale and the other characters and seeing the, the condition under which she left. But I think we'd be remiss not to start with the fact that she is a total badass. 
and wrecks the sixth brother like he's nothing. Immediately with his own lightsaber. With his and own lightsaber. She's totally he looks, he looks dope though. That mask oh, is he's super dope. Yeah. Oh, he's amazing. Like he's so he's come in looking for her. He's slaughtered most of the people in the village she's been living in. He's burned the place to cinders just by putting his lightsaber into the into the hay buildings. And then he's he steps up to her. She has no weapon in her hand. And in like three moves, she's disarmed him and killed him with his own lightsaber. My favorite part about it is the legend of Ahsoka Tano lives within the Empire and the Inquisitors, too. Like Anakin is not convinced she's dead. So he goes, no, like I can't. I'm going to be a legend now. Like, I can't believe it's Ahsoka Tano. You're supposed to be dead. Like and she yeah, like she ends him as fast as he as she possibly could, considering she didn't have a lightsaber as as far as it goes to the Ahsoka novelization. I don't think it's slapped in the face of anything like really like if you're really going to get down to it, nitpick and whatever. Sure. There's a few things in Raeda that didn't seem to be exactly as described in the book, but I don't, it just doesn't matter to me. Ultimately the re- the end result is the same thing. So I don't know why we're going to get that worked up about it. Like it just, it just isn't worth it for me, but the way it all, it all comes out, I, I, I do think that the beginning of this episode is a little bit slow, but I think the last five minutes more than make up for it when it comes to just how incredible. Because, I mean, when she uses the force to, to move the hay bales away from, from the girl, um, it's, it's not any different than what we did with Cal Kestis at the beginning of Fallen Order, where he saves the guy and then you kind of out yourself. And then the brother just simply wants to improve his his life standing basically. And Ahsoka understands why she turned him in and why she can't hide. But Bale being involved with that, it all completely worked fine for me. I just thought the Inquisitor looked cool. Um, and I would love to see more of the sixth brother. Yeah. But again, she wrecked him. I think, I think yeah, there's, a, there's an interesting dichotomy here between what a badass Ahsoka is. And the fact that even though she's gone into hiding, she has not, tur- she has not turned away from the force. Her training has clearly not left her. She can't overcome can't, the instinct. Can't even say that. Yeah, like she can't. Um, she can't turn away or turn off her instinct to help people. Obi Wan did. You know, it's really interesting that in the in the ten years in between, you know, we saw Obi Wan is cutting space whale. And he's seeing other people around him get abused and he even watches other people die and he doesn't step up and he's totally, he's, he's lost his groove. You know, that whole series is about how Obi-Wan got his groove back. Ahsoka never loses her groove. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, Luke does the same thing that Obi-Wan does. Luke cuts himself off from the force after everything goes wrong with, with Ben as well. So, I mean, she's, she's, the best of she's the best of everybody because she's not a Jedi. I mean, she just I love how she stopped correcting people that she's no longer a Jedi. She just takes it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of my that's one of my favorite moments in in Rebels is uh, when she says Darth Vader, then I will, you know, then I will avenge. And he says that, you know, revenge is not is not the Jedi way. And she says, I'm no Jedi. Right. Yep. I just I'm glad we have this series. I love it. Um, I think the Dooku stuff has a little bit more substance, but still, if you're going to give me Ahsoka, 
I will absolutely take it. But if you're going to give me more, give me Windu and more Dooku. Yeah, I would love Windu and Dooku for sure. I think they would make for really, really interesting tales. Who else might we want to see if we got... So I think we've clearly established we would love to see more of these. If we were to get some more interesting fill-in-the-blank stories, we were to get a couple more arcs out of these, who else might we be interested in seeing? Uh, High Republic version of Yoda, young Yoda would be fun. Um, give me a That's reason me. to care like more about... Give me a reason to care more about Kiati Mundi um, and what he's capable of. Uh, Plo Koon, Kit Fisto, I, the list could go on forever. But honestly, if if I could, if you could tell me there could only be one more, I think Kit Fisto because he's awesome and I love him. Isn't it obvious why Kiati Mundi is so incredible? That that conehead, it reaches it reaches to heaven. He did look a little goofy with his Jedi robes on. We'd never seen that before. That, <laughs> that's, that's very true. Like it, it, it's kind of like, you know, how Shaq has to get custom sneakers made because nothing ever fits him. So do you, can you imagine he like goes into the tailor? He's got like a specialized tailor. He's like, I would like my Jedi robes extra, extra tall, please. <laughs> well, at least he's not alone. Remember with, with the, the, the long neck dude. Who was on the Jedi Council in, uh, yeah. in in Episode One? He also he also shops at the Jedi store for the extra extra tall. <laughs> I love Same. his portrayal on robot on the robot chicken Star Wars, where he 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 sounds he's almost like the Woody Allen of the star of the Jedi Council. I haven't seen that in so long, but I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, he's yeah he's he's basically just a giant worry wart, and it's oh my gosh, he's, he's great. <laughs> What about um, the I would actually <laughs> I would also enjoy seeing, you know, you pointed out that we saw Caleb. I think it would be interesting to see a set of a set of tales around Padawan Caleb and his his Jedi master. You know, we've obviously they've been trickling in little bits where we've gotten some easter eggs of here, you know, obviously we saw him in the training. We got him at the end when he ran from the Jedi order when, you know, during order 66. I think it'd be very interesting to see, you know, what else happens with him and and uh, one of my favorite names here, Deepa Balaba, Deepa Balaba, yep, Deepa Balaba. Um, they obviously have a very interesting relationship. They it, it couldn't have been that long a relationship because she's he's so young when she dies. I would be interested to see how else they connect through because he he obviously plays such a a critical role through the Rebel series. That might be kind of fun. Filoni's favorite Jedi is Plo Koon. He has to do something with Plo Koon at some point. I would just love to see it. That's a fair point. I mean, Plo Koon was the stand-in for Luke when they were keeping it a secret of, of who was going to rescue Grogu. So... I still I still don't hate the idea of Plo Koon having been there instead of Luke. Like, obviously, Luke is important and it gets us what we get. But had it been Plo Koon, I still would have been very interested uh, in that yeah. particular one I, I wouldn't have hated it. I mean, it would have been weird. I mean, clearly he gets blown out of the sky. Yeah. You know, unless, yeah. unless he could, unless he could, pu unless he could pull a Mary Poppins, like unless he could do, he could do a princess Leia, sorry, general Leia, Mary Poppins. And, well, and you know, his of... mask, his mask is in, uh, what's his name's, uh, antique shop in Andor. No, Luthen's got Plo Koon's mask. 
Yeah. Am I making that up? I'm pretty sure that's true. No, you may not be making it up. I'm just saying that's pretty creepy. I, I think it's there. That is creepy. Yeah, I'd like to see some Plo Koon stories. I I don't think the emotional impact would have been the same if he had rescued Grogu. I think it would have been very cool. But I Episode don't think we all would have been... is in there. That's neat. And yet, I do not believe that we all would have been crying at the end of season two of Mandalorian if it was Plo Koon. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> I shed no tears for Plo Koon. <laughs> no offense to him no no offense Plo but you know um, any final thoughts no I just hope this Jedi? isn't I just hope this isn't it I just hope there's I'm more I'm with you so next up we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about the final episodes of Andor uh, we will line up an episode about Rogue One I love your idea about let's talk about the, the the dialogue in Star Wars has been notoriously ripped for being really, really bad, especially when George Lucas writes it. So I love the idea of an episode about the best written dialogue or the most memorable lines in Star Wars. So if you like what you hear, like, subscribe, most of all, share with your friends, bring them into our Star Wars galaxy, and we will be back soon. Brian, this was fun, man. Thanks for joining. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Until next time, may the force be with you.